This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. We'll do it live from AMI headquarters in the center of it all. Hey, it's legendary professional baseball player Joe Carter. Hi, this is Mike Pinball Clemens. Hi, this is Wendell Clark. Hey, this is Trish Stratus. Hi, this is Curtis Granderson of your Toronto nope. Blue. Nope, of you're your... a Milwaukee Brewer now. Really? Hey, this is Doug Gilmore, NHL Hall of Famer. Hi, it's future Hall of Famer Jeremy Roenick. Yo, what's going on? This is Drake. Hey, Lou Ferrigno, the real incredible home. Hey, this is Josh Donaldson of your Toronto Hold Blue. on, hold on. What? You're a Cleveland Indian now. Oh, really? Are y'all ready? The Neutral Zone, an in-depth discussion on parasports and professional sports with your host and Paralympian, Brock Richardson. Hey, what's going on? That is right. This week I am back in the hosting chair. Thank you to Brett Wills who took control last week and did a fantastic job. I'm saying this partially because he's sitting right to my left. No, I'm just kidding. He did do a great job. That is right. It is Brett Wills and David Arcamina. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Very well. You know, I was thinking during that intro, uh, a couple of controversial characters being introduced there. We all know about Josh Donaldson and uh, who he signs with and when is going to be one of the more interesting stories, I think, over the winter. But Drake involved in a little more controversy earlier in the week at a uh, rap concert at the Danforth Music Hall in Toronto where allegedly he paid for 200 tickets for people to come in and uh, uh, disturb a concert that was going on by a rival rapper or something. Like Controversy abounds these days. Interesting. It's funny. Drake always seems to get himself involved with... Uh with crazy things, so this doesn't surprise me any. Brett, how you doing? I'm good. I uh, just want to let you know that if you ever go away again, I don't know if we're going to be friends the following week. Why? Well, uh, I had fun last week. I really had fun last week. Yeah, you know what? You sounded like you had fun. I, I actually I had a chance to listen to the show uh, live because I was on lunch break, and I was looking at the time... In Newfoundland, it was about uh, 12.30 when you guys went on air, and I'm looking at the time at, at about 12.27, uh, thinking, wonder if Brett is uh, as white as a ghost, as he was telling me he was uh, going to be pooping some bricks about a few minutes before the show. But sounded great, sounded like you had fun. There will be more times that I will be away. So, Looking forward to it. Looking. But, but you're enjoying having me back, I sure hope. Sure. No comment. Jeff, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's a nice Saturday morning here in uh, in Toronto. Kind of cool, getting chilly out, um, and uh, I'm I'm getting kind of excited because with this cool weather, I don't know for some reason at this time of year it just gets me going for the Grey Cup, which is uh, which I'm sure we'll be talking about later. And there's a new uh, Halifax or potential Halifax franchise, but they came up with a new name. So nobody can spell Halifax. Like yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that nobody can spell Halifax. It's great. You're right. We will be discussing that uh, later on in the program. Um, a lot of people have been asking me uh, about my trip uh, out east, and <laughs> well, it was a bit of a uh, a bit of a nightmare start. We were supposed to fly out on uh, Wednesday. Uh, flight got canceled on Wednesday due to a. 125 kilometer winds. Uh, there was a la- one of the last flights uh, got out Tuesday evening that uh, they allowed to go through, which had some of our officials on it um, going to Newfoundland. And uh, the the official that was on it said, 
I was afraid to land uh, that day because the, the airplane was going pretty uh, pretty much uh, sideways at times with the wind. Uh, surprised the pilot could uh, control the plane. And then we got up the next morning. We had a 9 o'clock flight uh, Thursday morning. And at about 4.30 in the morning, we get a ding from our phones that said, uh, your flight's been canceled uh, again for... Thursday, uh, your new flight is at uh, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So we go to the airport. We expected to go. And we get there, and they say, nope, your flight at 12 o'clock is canceled. Well, in the 25-year history, they have never contemplated uh, canceling a national championship for bocce. And this time, they actually contemplated canceling it because if we didn't get there by Friday, they were going to cancel it because there was two days of events at that point and they were going to cancel it. Thankfully, we all got there Friday um, and we started to play. Now, we got there, I think, around uh, 11 p.m. by the time we got into our hotel. Had to wake up for uh, uh, 8.30 uh, start time for the, the tournament. So it was a very short rest. I, myself, um, played uh, four games and uh, only won one but lost every other game by the very last ball in each of the games. So I was in every single game and uh, really had a great time. And congratulations to everybody on uh, Team Ontario for what they did. It was a really good group of people this this week. And congratulations on Bocce Canada and 25 years of uh, the sport because it's crazy how much time flies. So that's kind of a nutshell of what happened on my trip. Brock, so. where, do they, uh, where do they hold these events? Well, I don't think they'll ever host it again in Newfoundland. <laughs> uh, no, they, it kind of moves bet- uh, between provinces. So this year it was in Newfoundland. Uh, next year, it's rumor has it it's in uh, Victoria. It kind of fluctuates between Montreal, BC, Ontario, and then Newfoundland. That's kind of the... Yeah, actually, what I meant by that question was, like, what type of facility do they oh. have? Like, and, and do you... Does this take place like on turf? Uh, or oh, how would yeah. You... So it's it's on like a, a basketball court kind of floor. Mm-hmm. So hardwood, um, and they just shined the uh, the gym floor for us uh, when we it was a new uh, new venue. Um, so yeah, it was a really good um, really good weekend and a really good bunch of people. And it kind of again with the surface, it kind of depends on what's available. Sometimes we played on. Um, you know, a little bit more of a spongy floor, but it it it's a hard surface that most of the time that we that we play on. You know, I have to ask one thing too, as kind of a lead into what we're going to be talking about in a couple of minutes. But is there a lot of drinking at these events? No, not <laughs> not that we uh, will publicly announce. Okay, we. we um, that's kind of forbidden on the court. Okay, uh, but we did have a banquet where we did indulge in some. Uh, some adult beverages, and I'm proud to say that at the banquet, Team Ontario was the last team to leave their table uh, because our head coach uh, said, let's see if we can be the last people to leave the table, and we ended up being the last people to leave at 12.30 in the morning, that morning, so that was the only time we got to indulge in some beverages. Speaking in indulging in some beverages, there was a curling team uh, a couple of weekends ago who were disqualified from an event because they were, quote, too drunk to play 
one of these players was uh, a para uh, a Paralympian, an Olympian, um, Ryan Fry, uh, who was, I guess, one of the more offended offending parties in this situation. He broke a couple of rooms, some language. Uh, Kevin Cooey was also a part of this team. Gentlemen, on its on its face, what do you think about this situation? Anyone can kind of... You, you could lead off, Brett. I think with your expressions, your facial expressions here, your, uh, your, your opinions on this might be much more colorful than mine. Who cares if a guy has had a couple of drinks? Honestly. Really? Yeah, who cares? Why? Was, was it a slow news day? Because <laughs> if, they, if this is something that we heard about, it had to have been a slow news day. Fair enough. I, I think maybe the stature of the people involved, you know, being an Olympian and that that kind of drew the... Yeah, it, it, I, I, I would agree with that. But one thing I have to ask, though, and you guys, uh, I think you guys are, have much more experience in this than I do. And I admit I've never what, curled. Drinking? <laughs> I, I I can go the politically correct route and say no, but I think there are people out there that might disagree. But anyway, I digress. Uh, curling, to me, I've had the same impression of it as shuffleboard. The more you drink, the better you play. Is that true? I don't know. I, I think uh, it's, too, it's too bad uh, Cameron's not here. He knows, an awful, <laughs> he knows an awful lot about curling, and I've been told he knows an awful lot about drinking. So Maybe, maybe we should put this item on ice for a week, and when Cam, com, when Cam comes, yeah, part of the, I like the wit there, right? Uh, when Cam comes back, and we can have an even more in-depth discussion about this. Jeff, you're a sports guy. Yeah. Ha, oh, okay. We're all sports I don't. Guys I don't. Well, you, yes, but you, <laughs> you uh, also play sports, and... Uh, I don't want to necessarily put you on the spot, but is this something that you would even consider doing? No, it's nothing that I would ever consider. I think, I mean, it was a World Curling Tour event. And as much as I want to agree with you, Brett, that whatever, it's okay. <laughs> these guys are professionals. They got to conduct themselves in a professional manner. And you can't just go out there and, and, and be blasted and plastered in, a, in an event like this. That's almost like saying to Brock, hey, Brock, I'm going to get you loaded and then you can go out there and play bocce. So I don't know. I, I, I think that as much of a funny kind of story, this is, it is fairly serious because he's on, uh, he was on team Brad Jacobs who won the gold medal yes. in 2014, I believe uh, at the Olympics. And they're not taking this lately. They said there's, we have, there's an article up on Sportsnet, and they, uh, they said, Hey, you know what? As much as we want our guys to have fun and be loose, because that team, if anybody recalls, was probably like the most loose and laid back curling team that I've ever watched. Literally. And as much as you think this is kind of a funny story, it, it does have some serious implications. And getting kicked out of a curling event uh, that's on the World Curling Tour is, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty serious in my opinion. But... Yeah, I, I don't think uh, anybody should go out there and, and, and drink before going into a yeah, sporting event. Which, by the way, this is the first time this has ever happened yeah. in curling that they've had to do this. And they're not denying that people haven't, you know, been um, uh, inebriated or under the influence on the surface. But this was, as Jeff alluded to, this was an outwardly obvious you know breaking broom like there's a difference if you're going out there and like having a fun game with your your friends and you're drunk that's one thing but when you're going out there on a professional tour 
it's it's a different thing. You know, like you wouldn't want to see your favorite hockey player. Like, what if Connor McDavid was hammered and he started playing? Like, that would be a huge. Maybe the Edmonton Oilers would be in first place in the West. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they do need a couple of drinks, but. Uh, no, well, before a professional game, no. If you're just going out there with your buddies and, and having some fun, yeah, maybe have a couple of beers. It's totally up to you. But when there's uh, when it's the World Curling Tour, I think you should you know take it a little bit more seriously. Absolutely, absolutely. Anyone got any other comment? We got about a minute left. Anyone? Oh, I, I, I agree with everything Jeff said. I mean, all, all kidding aside, and, and alcohol consumption, especially these days, is a very sensitive issue. Uh, on a lot of fronts, uh, but yeah, it's you know you've got a professional image here, but uh, you know again it just kind of calls to mind. I, I'm not going to mention names, but uh, I've heard of many more than one story of NHL hockey players taking to the ice uh, under the influence, and you know some guys who have played in the league for a while. So you know over the years, I guess it's while it doesn't happen a lot, it's not unusual. It'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, Team Brad Jacobs uh, decides to do because he is still part of that team, uh, Ryan Fry. Um, but we'll see uh, what's happening. I think it's going to be under investigation uh, for a little while before we hear anything uh, further on it. Coming up next, we're going to discuss um, Todd McClellan being fired as head coach and discuss the Edmonton Oilers at length and the rest of the National Hockey League right after this. Here on the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson. Joined by Dave Recavina and Brett Wills and Jeff Ryman in our control room. I want to touch on something you guys talked about last week, being that Jeff uh, was in this glass house because, you know, you were afraid he was going to throw things at you. Is this, uh, you still afraid of Jeff? No, well, I thought about it this week and I think he's just in a glass house of emotion. (laughs) <laughs> that might be. Ooh. Care to elaborate? No, Ooh. he can take it however he wants. Ugh. I'm gonna make you eat more pickled onions. I think. I uh, speaking of pickled onions, and I might be putting uh, Jeff on the spot here, but we're starting something new. Uh, I'm not sure if we're gonna do it this week or in, in the following weeks, but uh, we're gonna record our commercial breaks, so you'll be able to hear things that are said uh, during the break and. Uh, <laughs> We might even record something a little bit after because sometimes we go long on certain topics and we don't totally get everything out. So, so sometimes we might do that as well. But uh, you're going to get to hear a little bit of uh, behind the scenes of the neutral zone in the coming weeks. And if we can find that commercial break after Brett ate the pickled onions, I think that would be a good uh, a good lead into our, uh, into our behind the scenes. Because if I remember correctly, it was still quite a humorous commercial break so look forward for that in the coming weeks i think more pickled onions might be coming brett's way as well because i think in if you listen to the commercials he says that philip rivers for mvp yes um i don't know if we ever made a bet on that but i don't know if uh, philip he's having a good year philip rivers for sure but mvp worthy no i don't know i think no. that's uh do, do some you, pickled do you care to worthy. eat a pickled onion because I, n- of that? I, n- I never said that though didn't you like it though didn't, didn't you say you didn't mind the pickled onion? 
Yeah, the pickled onion was okay. So I gotta I mean... find something more disgusting to get then. <laughs> well, I have like a few... cat food. <laughs> like cat food. <laughs> you, you know what? Cat food is just it's food for cats. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> meow, meow, meow. <laughs> thank, thank you for the update of what, uh, what cat are, food is. People are probably wondering, well, I mean, they were talking about alcohol in the previous segment. Did they slip anything into their drinks during the break? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you'd have to listen to the podcast to this, figure that. This just yeah. goes to show you, folks, you never know where you're going when you enter the neutral yeah. zone. Uh, all right, that was two minutes that we won't get back. So now let's discuss... Uh, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, Todd McClellan, uh, gets fired um, after losing six of seven games in a stretch. I think the more, well, I might be putting words in people's mouths, but I will say the more surprising part for me was who they hired, uh, being Ken Hitchcock, who was uh, in retirement and then came out to do this uh, this gig. He's been known to take over a team in short order, uh, most recently, the St. Louis Blues. He came in part of the way through the year and kind of changed that team around for a couple of years. General thoughts, uh, Dave, let's start with you. You know, it makes you wonder about the whole Edmonton Oilers situation. Uh, I'm not saying that Todd McClellan did a great job coaching the Oilers. Obviously, if he did, he would still have the job. But, I mean, the guy had... 100-point seasons in San Jose, uh, you know, never met him, don't know a whole lot, in the, uh, you know, other than whatever in the media on him. Uh, you know, this guy didn't get stupid overnight. But, you know, I'm wondering with the coaches the Oilers have gone through in the last, what, five, seven years, I, I'm just wondering if this is a coachable group. Yeah, and, like, I, I kind of with you, uh, outside of – Connor McDavid, you haven't really seen much. Maybe you could throw Dreisaitl in the mix of people that are are doing all right, but I'm kind of with you. I don't know how much of this is on uh, Todd McClellan. Uh, Brett, thoughts? You know, I'm not surprised that Todd McClellan was fired. Um, And on the surface, I'm surprised maybe that they hired Hitchcock. But you have to understand that Ken Hitchcock is from the greater Edmonton area or just on the outlier. And I think that he's wanted this job ever since he entered the NHL as a coach. And you also have to understand that except for maybe one or two spots that he's been, he's a very good short-term coach. He can turn around an organization pretty quick and then leave it for the next guy to have success. See, as a coach, though, I feel like that would frustrate me. Like, you know, you, you here, here you come in, you take a team from a mess, you get them into where they are, and then someone else comes and enjoys the fruits of your labor. But you also have to understand that they coaxed him out of retirement. He he was ready to just... I don't, I don't think they had to try very hard <laughs> to coax him out of retirement. <laughs> It made sense because he's, like I said, he was from he's from the greater Edmonton area. So, I mean, it's not like he had to hop on a plane and move locations. But, uh, I mean, you're, you're that guy who's had that much success in so many years in the league. I, I read an interesting thing that uh, prior to hiring Ken Hitchcock, supposedly the Oilers management reached out to Joel Quenville. But 
as part of his deal with the Blackhawks, and I think he's still got a couple of years left when he's being paid very well, um, the Blackhawks have the final say on releasing Quenville from his contract. So if Joel Quenville coaches anywhere in the NHL in the next couple of years, I think he's got two, if not three years left on his contract. Two, I think. Um, we may not be seeing him in the NHL for a while uh, and uh, because the Blackhawks probably don't want him coming back to any NHL team and embarrassing them. Especially in the West. Like yeah. that, I yeah. think that would be the first, you know, the first, like, no, no, no. And if you're going to go to Edmonton, yeah, that would be. Jeff, thoughts? What do you think? Yeah, I don't – I'm not a huge Todd McClellan fan. I'll start off by saying that. I mean, he's a good coach, but he's not a great coach. And having that said, I kind of agree with Brett where uh, – yeah, I know. Shocking. Oh. Um, but it, I think change was needed, and usually the first thing to go is the coach. And it's kind of unfair in a lot of circumstances. Um, do I think he deserved to be fired? No. But – that's uh, obviously out of my power, but th- I think a lot of the this. Power in Edmonton? I don't have what? any power. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> uh, but I think this really comes down to Peter Shirelli. What yeah. has he really done for the organization? You look, they they had a couple of draft busts. They trade away a bunch of their players. Like they had, they drafted Nail Yakupov. Um, they drafted Taylor Hall, who they traded away for Adam Larson. Uh, kind of a crappy trade there when you trade away an MVP for Adam Larson. And no, I'm not knocking Adam Larson, but when you trade away an MVP type caliber player, you kind of want more. Uh, when you sign Leon Dreisaitl, again, who's a great player, to an $8.5 million a year deal, uh, it's I, some of these things are questionable. So I think a lot of this has to fall on the GM and you have to look at what the coach has been working with, and you look at the Edmonton Oilers roster, and who do they have aside from McDavid, Drysdale, and, Ho- and Nugent Hopkins consistently, consistently putting up points? And it's it's hard to find the answer to that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the organizational depth. You look at the prospects; it's still very thin. I know they've drafted pretty good lately. They have Kyler y- Yamamoto down in the minors. They have uh, uh, Bouchard, who they drafted out of uh, the London Knights organization as a defenseman, which they finally uh, got right because they have needed a defenseman for basically forever. Um, so it looks like they're starting to get it, but at the same time, you have to look at the organizational depth, and it's just non-existent right now. Like I said, they're getting there, but right now it's, uh, it's kind of hard to coach these guys when uh, there's not a whole lot of depth in that organization. So I think a lot of this has to fall on Peter Shirelli. And honestly, I don't think he lasts the, the rest of the year. I think he's probably gone in the next couple of months. Here's the thing that bugs me about what management did with this situation. You had the audacity to let this guy go to San Jose, and then you fire him in San Jose? Like, you cannot tell me that you didn't know that this was even a thought. Everybody knew in the media that Todd McClellan had had a short lease, and then you decide to to fire him in San Jose because, in my opinion, you don't want to face the media in Edmonton. You, so then you, you decide to bring him all the way to... Like, that's just not right at all, that you brought a coach to San Jose and then fired the guy. Like, really? Well, is there any 
proper time to fire a coach. Uh, well, I guess, know. yeah. I mean, on the other hand, you could uh, you could look at how the Argos fired Mark Trussman at two a.m. in the back of a bus. Uh, <laughs> like you know, what's <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any right way to do it, if you will. Um, again, getting back to the Oilers, Jeff, you brought up some good points there, especially about player development and, and especially as it relates to how many high draft picks the Oilers have had over the years. And, and you contrast that with, say, what the Leafs have done with the Marlies organization. And, you know, they obviously, I guess that's, you know, part of the Shanna plan, uh, you know, although the Marlies were in good shape even before Brendan Shanahan took over. He just took it, raised it to another level. You know, they've got the right guy in there coaching uh, with the Marlies, with Sheldon Keefe. They have a certain system there. Guys are taught uh, how to play two-way hockey with the Marlies. And then so that, you know, when they do come up to the Leafs, maybe they don't stick. Uh, Maybe not that many guys have made the Leafs permanently from the Marlies, but they're more than adequate fill-ins. And, uh, you know, the, the level of play doesn't drop off a lot when you see some of these Marlies players in the Leaf lineup. And I think that might be the standard now throughout the league, uh, you know, and it certainly it shows up, I think, an area where the Oilers are maybe behind much of the rest of the league. Yeah. No, I, and again, something else, and Brett, I'm interested in your thoughts, something else that I heard this week was if things don't turn around, does Connor McDavid stick through his contract? Your thoughts, and I, you just kind of raised your eyebrows at me as I, as I said it. I saw a clip of Connor McDavid this week talking to the media I don't know if it, I think it was just after they fired McClellan and uh, hired Hitchcock. And he was asked, uh, what now or something like that. And he, he, he was very honest. He said that uh, he's just he's going to continue to go out there and play, whether McClellan's behind the bench or Hitchcock's behind the bench or God's behind the bench. He just he gets paid to play hockey. Yeah. And he does it to the best of his ability. And. He plays with the players that he's set out to play with, and he understands that uh, there's a there's a, a spotlight on him and a microscope probably on him more than anybody mm-hmm. uh, t- to play well and d- to do better. And it showed the next game when Hitchcock coached his first game because he got two extra minutes of ice time, which is something that Hitchcock does. He relies heavily on his star his star players, his top players. He did that with Tyler Sagan, and we'll, we'll, we see how Tyler Sagan has p- progressed throughout his career, uh, what kind of an all-star he's become and whatnot. He certainly hasn't had the team success th- in Dallas, but he's be- become a well-rounded player. And I think for the short term that Hitchcock is going to get the best out of uh, Connor McDavid that we haven't seen yet, which is scary to think because he is the best player in the world, and he's shown everybody that he is the best player in the world. Just quickly, what happened? Okay, so it's still early. What what happens if Ken Hitchcock, you know, gets his team in the playoffs? Do you see him sign another two, maybe three years with this team around the table? I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, whenever you get to coach the best player in the world in Connor McDavid, I feel like that's personally for me. If I were to be able to coach Connor McDavid, I wouldn't want to let that go. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen, though. I, I just, I'm that down on the Oilers organization. Uh, I don't know what it will take to rectify things. I, I think someone, you know, again, maybe uh, you have to bring someone in there similar to a Brendan Shanahan and just burn this thing right down to the ground before you rebuild it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with or without Connor McDavid. 
And I, 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 I'm not optimistic about the Oilers. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. And I just, I, the way I see that situation, I, I, I don't know who would turn it around. The one thing that surprises me, uh, Jeff, you were talking about Peter Shirelli being on a short leash a few minutes ago. I, I question that even because if a GM is on his way out, usually he's for the first one of the first signs is he's forbidden from by upper management from making any trades. Not that it was a blockbuster trade, but you did see the Oilers acquire Dennis Weidman from the Senators in exchange for a draft pick the other day. Yeah, I I just you everybody's been so down on the Edmonton Oilers for obvious reasons, and more importantly, Peter Shirelli. But I mean, I, I would agree that this might be his last bullet that he, that he can he can he can pull, and if things don't change this year and and beyond, then you might see a big difference. Brett, do you think the Oilers can make the playoffs with Ken Hitchcock? You know, I'm I'm with Dave. I don't think that they're going to be able to recover from what they're what they've dealt with. Uh, I'm I'm going to leave you with what if it it's deeper than what we all think and it's a ownership issue they have they've got a brand new arena but he's put an awful lot of money into the arena and that's it he he was around the team the week before they they fired McClellan and i think that uh, that's good but he's been awfully quiet uh since and i think when you're an owner and you've got that much pressure to, to perform. You need to breathe down the neck of your players and your coaching staff. Yep, and I think some of the ownership, honestly, needs to come on the players yeah, as as well as management. But it shouldn't it shouldn't come on just one person. And unfortunately, Todd McClellan was that one person for the time being, and we'll see what happens in the future. With that, we're going to take a break, come back, and discuss the CFL. Grey Cup is coming to Edmonton tomorrow. We're going to discuss it at length. There's even a suspension lingering around that we're going to also discuss. All that coming up next right here on The Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI Audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Brett, Dave, and Jeff. I was just saying in the commercial break, man, since we've gone live, you look up at the clock and you're just like, man, it's 25 to, to, to 12 already. It's pretty crazy, at least here in the East anyways. Um, but yeah, it's crazy how time flies. Speaking of uh, time flying, the CFL season is uh, coming to an end. Uh, tomorrow, as the Grey Cup will be taking place in Edmonton, we have Calgary versus Ottawa, which is another rematch from a couple of years ago. Was it? It wasn't last year. It was the year before. Two years ago. Memory serves me correctly. Where uh, Ottawa pulled it out in uh, late fashion. General thoughts on the Grey Cup this year, Brett? Well, I was on Twitter earlier this week. Uh... Just uh, reading some stuff about Grey Cup and CFL. And somebody suggested that if Calgary wins, that this group of guys who have been together for a few years is possibly a dynasty. 
And I, I looked at it and I'm puzzled because I thought that a dynasty would be some team that could string together a number of championships, not string together a bunch of losses in championships. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know how you can consider that a dynasty, but anyway. Yeah, uh, you can't. I agree. You can't really call it a dynasty. I think what you, you what you could call it would be dominance, especially in the Western Conference, because it seems uh, how many years in a row now has Calgary finished first in the Western Conference? I a think lot. It's, yeah, six or seven at least. I think. But I think the um, the big issue here you got a great quarterback matchup, and I think who has the better game and the smarter game. Uh, you know, his team will prevail. And it's interesting because I think both Trevor Harris and Bo Levi Mitchell come in with some questions around them. Trevor Harris until this year was known as a guy who maybe got a, got a little soft mentally in the big games and didn't produce. He's He's gone a long way to erase that, especially his performance against the Tiger Cats last Sunday in the Eastern Final where he just shredded the Hamilton defense from start to finish. Bo Levi Mitchell, you know, you can't question his talent. You can't question the numbers he's put up over the last several years with Calgary. And rumors abound that uh, he's going to leave the Stampeders and try the NFL next season, uh, with who I'm not sure, but uh, that seems to be a story out there. Buffalo Bills need a quarterback. (laughs) No, 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 no. The Buffalo Bills need a backup quarterback. Fair enough. Give him time. Give them, you know, be patient here. Matt Barkley, he'll he'll be a fine backup. You know, we just have to see what Josh Allen does. But that's another story for another time. Uh, You know, to me, Bo Levi Mitchell lost that game for the Stampeders last year. And I think he's, uh, to me, tends to, uh, I'm going to stop just short of saying he's full of himself because I believe, you know, starting quarterbacks in, in professional football, very strong personalities, almost all of them. But uh, uh, Bo, I think, tried to force a couple of throws late in the game that played into the Argos' coverage schemes, and that's how the Argos won the Grey Cup. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. If if Calgary wins, uh, yeah, we'll probably hear a little more of the dynasty talk. But if they lose, it's going to be very interesting to see if they can keep that gang together in Cowtown. Jeff? Yeah, you have to think there's a little bit of pressure on the Calgary Stampeders, just because they've lost so many times. They've lost two in a row. Um, the last win coming back in 2014 against the Hamilton Tiger Cats at Grey Cup 102. So you have to think there's a little bit of pressure because last year was very disappointing for the Stampeders because they literally blew it in the last minute of play against the uh, Argos. But, uh, yeah, I think that pressure is going to be mounting because think about it. This is the third time now. People have been talking, well, I mean, like you like you mentioned, Brad, the dynasty talk, I, I think that's a little premature. I mean, they're a great team, but like like also you mentioned, they've only won once in the past couple of years. I, I feel like to be in order to be a dynasty, you have to win at least a couple. Uh, so, yeah, but I think losing two in a row, pressure's building up. If they don't get this one, how does that affect Bo Levi Mitchell's legacy? So... I think there's a lot riding on this game, and uh, for that, I think you know what I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't count Ottawa out because Calgary's a great team. They uh, uh, they're the, they were the best in the CFL during the regular season. They didn't have a strong finish, and maybe this pressure is starting to add up on them. And that could go either way, though. Sometimes guys work better under pressure. Sometimes sometimes it doesn't. But. Uh, you have to think, just with that pressure, it's going to be a little bit tougher for, for the Calgary Stampeders, at least mentally. 
I think what bothers me with this whole dynasty discussion is not so much what they've done the regular season. They've been there three years in a row. It's how they've lost the last two Grey Cups that I'm just sitting here thinking, how, even if they win, how can you sit there for the past two years and say, well, that's a dynasty. They've lost it, as Jeff alluded to, in the last quarter of each of the last two Grey Cups. Like, it's the way, like, they cannot close games. And if they do it again this year, I'm I'm just going to say they don't have a have the ability to finish games. Like, that, that is what I'm going to come on next week and say. I told you, they don't have the ability to close close quarters and that that's just the way i feel about it you know i hope they do lose oh oh no i really hope they do lose why because then that just adds another name to the list of the uh, coaches that the argos could hire fair oh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't i don't see it happening yeah i don't, I don't think it's likely but i don't it, think calgary will fire dave dickinson if they lose i could be wrong but of course but i i, I don't think so really even though it's the third in this case, it would be the third time. Yeah, I, I I don't get the sense that his, you know, his seat is any warmer than anyone else's. I think if you if you want to talk about the Argo coaching situation, that's a whole different story because I think that's based on, or that's dependent on what's going to happen in Hamilton. Uh, does June Jones remain as head coach, or does Orlando Steinauer get promoted? And I think they're also waiting to see that situation play out in BC as well. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, coaching uh, availabilities, or could be yeah. a lot of coaching availabilities, and the Argos included, obviously. But it'll be an interesting Grey Cup. I believe the coverage on uh, TSN begins usually around 1 o'clock, and the game itself is uh, just after 6 o'clock. Anyone got any? Who's the halftime for the Grey Cup? Anyone? Alessia Cara, I believe. Yeah. And that's the second or third Who? time she's been there. Alessia Cara, I oh, think, yeah. Okay, I, I was like, what? who's that? Okay, now, yeah, now I yeah. know. By the way, this game's going to be on AMI-TV as well, and live and described. Oh, so. that's oh interesting. Tune in. Tune into AMI-TV. Is, is this the first time that they've done this? No, nope, hey. I think they've done it in the past as well. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah so if you are... Um, need a live described video, AMI is your place to be. Uh, go to ami.ca and find out uh, what channel they're on in your uh, region and tune into the game. Uh, enjoy the game. Enjoy the parties that you may have. Uh, be safe around the table. Are we watching it, Dave? Oh, yeah. Actually, I will be in Ottawa. Uh, I leave tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon. I'll be up in Ottawa until Tuesday night. So, uh uh, actually, for another football game at TD Place, uh, the high school team I coach with uh, will be playing in one of the Offs of Bowl games at TD Place in Ottawa on Tuesday morning. So, like I say, we'll be up there for three days. Could be a party there. The Might be. One if they win. Might Je- be. Jeff, watching the game? Yeah, I think you got to. I mean, it's the, it's the Grey Cup comes around once a year. It's the Canadian Super Bowl, if you will. So, of course, I'll be watching it. Brett, watching the game? Not only watching the Grey Cup, but I'll be tuning into the Vanier Cup. Go Laval, they're a dynasty in the in their own right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, they kick things off at 1 o'clock in Quebec City. Western and Laval. Good matchup. I, it is an excellent matchup. A little bit of revenge, too, uh, on Laval's uh, yeah. minds. You would it's think. a rematch of last year, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yep, yep. And uh, my guy, Tim McAuliffe, I'm a big uh, Tim and Sid fan. My guy, Tim McAuliffe, will be on the call for the score on uh, Sunday. So lots of football. Yes, indeed, I will be watching it. You know, just for a second there, I think that's really disappointing. Not to take anything away. This isn't a matter of announcers. 
But the fact that you've got the National University Championship game and it's on a secondary Sportsnet channel. Yeah, I know. Sportsnet 360. Surely a game of that magnitude should be on either the main Sportsnet channel or the main TSN channel, one or the other. Uh, But I think that game deserves it. And these are clearly the two best university programs in the country. Uh, You know, Laval is, uh, they've been prominent right since day one, and that program is only a little little over 20 years old. Western has been excellent uh, probably since before my grandfather's time. But, uh, you know, that's, uh, they're two models of excellence, really. It's, you know... You can call it an uneven playing field in university football, but that's another story for another day. But these are the two best organizations uh, in the country when it comes to university football. And it will, be, it will be a very good game. It will be uh, right down to the wire, in my opinion. It, it could uh, very well be. It's going to be that way. So uh, Vanier Cup at 1 o'clock and then the uh, Grey Cup uh, to follow at 6 p.m. With that, we're going to take a break. Uh, something's bothering Brett. Could be the fact that I'm back, but I think it's something else uh, also bothering him. So we'll find out more right after the break here on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI Voices for Ability broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. In the first pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter conversation with Brett Wills from the Neutral Zone? Find him at NeutralZoneBrett. Swinging a chopper to second base. Rukavina up with it. Throws over to first in time. Routine out. Richardson is retired. And folks, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam Jenkins from the Neutral Zone on Twitter. Gather the family around, type in at Neutral Zone Cam J, and you're on your way. And that organ interlude was brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. We'll be back after this word from the Neutral Zone. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio and Voices for Ability. I am your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Brett and Dave. Uh, well, it's uh, time for another edition of What's Bugging Brett. Let's find out what's bugging him today. Oh my goodness, it needs to stop. You're allowed to have an opinion. I think we've talked about that to death. We pay to watch them play. So sore right now. What's bugging Brett? <laughs> so... That clip was brought to us by uh, Derek Wellsman, who does a little bit of our uh, our uh, post production, along with uh, Matt Agnew. So, Brett, what's bothering you today? You know, uh, as most of our listeners know, I uh, I'm a sledge hockey player, I, I, and I play at a club level, and I, uh, I I've learned to appreciate this sport at an international level, and when Hockey Canada took over. Our national sledge hockey program in 2002, I thought it was, I, I would suggest it was about time. And, uh, but now that we're in 2018, I feel that they have been lacking in the department of development as well as proper governance and 
with that, I feel that not only has our men's program fallen behind, uh, which it has, uh, but our women's program is suffering and hurting. And and I I feel that that's that's an absolute shame. Yeah, I mean, you know, I go back to uh, 2010 um, when they were at home and uh, ended up being fourth and you started to hear the uh, conversations then um, about what Hockey Canada has been doing. And I mean, I agree. I think the women's program was a good idea. I just don't think they have uh, followed through with what they should be. Not to say that anyone's not working hard, but um, why, like, why do you think this whole fall down has started to happen with Hockey Canada? It's that, that whole old adage where politics come into play. And I know that this is a sports show and we don't want to talk about politics because we, we, we listen about politics every single day of our lives. But there, there is a systematic failure within Hockey Canada, and it's got a trickle-down effect all the way down to our grassroots programs. Yeah, I mean, and I, like you hear about all the grassroots program for stand-up hockey, and they're all over the news, or sponsored by Hockey Canada, and it really is too bad uh, that the para level has suffered because there are some tremendous athletes both uh, men and women in the game uh, for sledge hockey. And at one time, we were the top nation um, in Canada for quite a number of years, and it just seems that's really fallen apart. You you look at our neighbors to the south of us and uh, within USA Hockey, and they, they've come an awful long way uh, to where they are today. And dare I say it, I think USA Hockey is a better federation than Hockey Canada. What areas are we lagging in? I I, I strongly feel that it's it's development, it's promotion, it's uh, acceptance. In short, everything. In short, yeah, it's absolutely everything. <laughs> you you, uh, if, if you you go to the the national level, right? And they they invite uh, they invite a number of guys. I think they invite twenty nine or thirty guys out every year, and for the most part, they bring back the same seventeen, sixteen, seventeen guys before their first cut mm-hmm. at a, at either a national tur- or international tournament uh, or like a a world championship or a Paralympics down to, I guess, fifteen. I'm hearing this though. Across the board in Paris sports, I'm I'm hearing there's not a lot of development uh, going on, period. And it's funny you bring up, you know, it's the same guys. Like, I look at the core group, and it's been the same core group since I've been following it since, you know, religiously, say, 2009, headed into the Paralympic Games in, in 2010. It's been the same Guys, and you know what we we I have to uh, I have to give kudos to Billy Bridges. He's been part of the program since he was fifteen or sixteen years of age, and he's my age, which is the ripe old age of thirty four. 
Uh, so he's been a part of that program for 20 years. But, I mean, there there comes a point where, and it's not his fault. They're, they're absolutely not his fault. Uh, there there comes a point where, where they, they need to bring in new blood and new blood that is that is competitive, new blood that is good. New but bl- if they don't have it, they can't bring it. I also think that it, that th- there's a problem at the the board level. I'll call it, even though the board level is not really the proper term. The, they uh, they bring in coaches. They seem to roll over coaches. Sorry, um, every few years. And I, and I guess when when you're coaching at that in these organizations, whether it be Hockey Canada, USA Hockey, uh, Hockey Sweden, whatever, that that tends to happen. But again, I, I'm comparing it to USA Hockey. These USA Hockey coaches, whether it be men's, women's, para, uh, ice hockey, they, they seem to have an extensive resume. And I think, honestly, I think Jeff Sauer, uh, who's now no longer with us, but I think Jeff Sauer did a lot for the uh, USA program. And, and he originally was at Wisconsin. Yeah. One thing uh, that I wonder, and I, I, I will say that I'm, you know, I mean, those you guys all know me. I'm much more of a football guy than a hockey guy. But the sense that I get of Hockey Canada is that they have two main priorities. The, uh, in, in, you can, in either order, the Olympic team, in the World Junior Hockey Championships. And uh, it might be too strong to say that all the other programs are left crumbs. I don't think that's necessarily the case. But to me, I think those are the two, when I think of Hockey Canada, that's what I think of is the Olympics and the the World Juniors. And aside from that, uh, you almost don't think about whatever else they're involved in. But Brett, you mentioned, you know, about USA Hockey, and not that I'm that familiar with it, but I really get the sense that that is an organization that has really worked hard, especially over the last, say, 25 years or so, to grow the game throughout the United States. Now, there's still a lot of areas where ice hockey is foreign, uh, you know, in the States, but they've they've done a great job in bringing the game to the masses, and you're starting to see that, especially at the world junior level, and you're starting to see now, you know, dominant American players emerge. You know, Jack Eichel with uh, Buffalo being one example. But it, it just, to me, I get the sense USA Hockey is doing a much more complete job across the board than Hockey Canada is right now. Yep. I'm just going to end off and say I, I expect more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, totally. As, a, as an athlete who, you know, you've said you've been around, you expect more, right? even if you're not involved. You expect more competitive people on the ice and a competitive team, not only the ones on the ice, but the ones coming up uh, in the future. With that, that is the end of our program today. I'd like to thank Brett Wills, Dave Recamina, Jeff Ryman in our control room. I'd also like to thank Matt Agnew. And, of course, our manager of AMI Audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you never know what may happen when you enter the neutral zone. See you next week. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.